little some steam venom. I'd like to take his his face. So welcome, welcome, welcome back to class. This is the second class of our action movie appreciation. And on today's class, we're going to be looking at a different action film. This one titled Hannah, which came out in 2011. It's uh, 111 minutes long, directed by Joe Wright, starring Saoirse Ronan, Eric Bana, and Kate Blanchett. It had a budget of $30 million and made a box office amount of $65.3 million. The breakdown of the film is, it's about a girl named Hannah, a girl raised in the wilderness of northern Finland by her father, who trains her to be an assassin. She is then tracked down by Kate Blanchett's senior CIA agent character, and she tries to eliminate the girl and the father. That's the basic rundown, but a lot more happens after that. Another key point is that the soundtrack was written by the Chemical Brothers. Sarah. I thought it was fantastic. The editing, the sound design, the the music, not just the acting to me. It was just like all the other elements really brought it home for me. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't think, well, I didn't know what to think in terms of how you might like this film from the recommendation list, but... When I rewatched it, I remember having fond memories of it from 2011. Uh, watching it now, 10 years later, it's it still holds up, but it's a little more muted for me. I guess I've because I've seen some more wild action films, but it was it felt this was more on the artistic side, especially with as you mentioned the sound design. I liked the soundtrack. I paid more attention to uh, some of the visuals. Very very enthralling. I wish I could get a poster. Or maybe something like a painting of the final scene where Kate Blanchett comes out of that roller coaster on like a t-shirt on a picture above a fireplace. Like that's the type of scene that I want at least etched in my brain for forever and ever. What made you put the film on the list? Good question. A lot of it is just it's all mixed up as part of the group of films. But I wanted to sort of tone it down a little bit in terms of the action. I didn't want to keep it going with something as you know, explosive where everybody's pulling out guns and blowing up everything. I wanted something a little more toned down. So that's kind of why I went with Hannah. And to be honest, Hannah really didn't, it really didn't strike the masses the same way that Die Hard did. Of course, I mean, obviously Die Hard has a major marketing budget behind it, but I feel that Die Hard is a big blockbuster. And then you have a film like Hannah, which has the same, roughly the same budget, but not the same box office return, but it can still be just as enjoyable. I also think like it was nice to see a female lead. There are more these days. It's not that old. And a younger woman, as I forget how old she's supposed to be. I think she's supposed to be like 15 or something. Yeah, I think that was, you know, it was nice to not necessarily see like like a Bruce Willis type being a badass. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't want to I didn't want to go macho man back to back. You know, like extreme masculinity. Those are on the list. Trust me. There, there's, there are going to be films that have masculinity from opening credits to the end. And it's it's going to be a lot. But I, I went with this as sort of like a palate cleanser and also a little bit of just a, a complete opposite, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I think it spent more time to me on the cinematography and on sound design and or it just was different. 
my favorite scene is in the I guess it's like more in the beginning the I guess whatever the government agency is CIA where they take in Hana and then plot twist she shoots everyone that's held her captive and she escapes she shoots everybody and she shoots the screen that Kate Blanchett's character is like watching her on I loved the there's one shot where the camera is like rotating around and like it goes upside down and then it comes back around and the Chemical Brothers music is playing and she's running because there's a shit ton of running in this movie. So much running. That whole and just like the quick shots of it, like the editing was, I don't know, it's just spot on for me. Yeah. And to be honest, films like Hannah are the minority more than the majority. That is very unfortunate. Sometimes you can still be artistic with your action film because it's still a film. Like you can still put touches of art in it. Um, not everybody does that, but this film took the time to really make that happen. Yeah, and I think too the a lot of the themes in terms of like the fairy tale aspect of it, going back to the Grimm's fairy tales that they reference a lot. Because I feel like Die Hard had a lot of comedic elements, and I think Hannah has the comedic relief, or in the female friend, Sophie. Mm-hmm. I think when she was talking about how she, I think I'd be a lesbian, but we'd only hold hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that, I thought that was nice that they had a little bit of humor, um, especially with the, the date that went wrong for that poor boy. Oh, I felt so, I was like, how did she, I just didn't understand the shift. Like, I think she, I thought she knew that she was about to get kissed. Did she not realize it and then decide to like, throw him down or did you hear a loud sound it was just like it was his hand on her face oh 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 i think i missed that i was just like why i think i thought she knew she was about to get kissed by this boy she thought so but i think the hand on her face it might have felt like combat to her the little rolling arm twist and he he got thrown to the floor yeah it was a mess for him i did like the line where she said should i let him go and the girl's like as opposed to what i thought that bit of dialogue was pretty funny i love the parents of Sophie and Miles, I believe, is the, the younger brother. Yeah, the poor boy. The snitch. Miles the snitch. Miles the snitch. I was like, don't do it. Don't say her location. Don't tell evil Kate. Ugh. I was like, he was so cute. And then he ruined everything. But it was smart by Kate to separate the family one by one. Yep. I mean, she knows what she's doing. That was a stylish scene as well. The camera pans right, and you see each of the, each of the family members in a different shipping container. Oh, yeah, that was a really cool shot. She sweet she sweet talked poor little Miles, and uh, next thing you know, they're off to Berlin, <laughs> the Grimm's house. Yeah, and the scene before that where they're jumping, where they're doing the chase scene, another chase, and they're jumping off of the on top of those platforms. Obviously, another action trope of people being able to jump really far distances and being able to make it out alive. I've noticed that seems to be a thing. I mean, leaping leaping is a is an action movie trope. Yes, I didn't feel like her gaps were that large. I think that they tried to sell some of them as being large. I mean, maybe one of them might have been more than average, but I felt like they were all roughly regular distances. Yeah, are they tried to make them more dramatic with the music and with the the slowing down? Right. So you you mentioned themes. Uh, what themes did you perceive as you were watching? So one of the things I noticed was there's obviously, or what I've noticed, I guess, in other action film is that there's always like an overzealous government organization. Mm. Or somebody in the organization that thinks they know everything. Hence what happens in Die Hard with the Breakfast Club guy. Right. Or authority. Authority thinks that they know best. And there's there's somebody else that's like, I'm going to, I actually know the truth or I know what it is. I was going to say they always have a handle on it. 
It's it's slowly coming apart, but no, we got it. Like one, what was it? One day, one operation, or something, or one man, one operation, which is what they say earlier. Yeah. When they were about to go invade Papa's house. Yeah. Yeah, the slow, the leaping was was part of it. The that slow mo running, the father training Hana to be this like master. There's sort of like a montage, like I the tiger training scene from like Rocky. Right. Yeah, the jumps I wrote in exclamation points and so so much running. Action stars have a lot of cardio. There's rarely going to be a heavy set guy who's just has no fitness, just knocking out scores of people. You you have to be have some sort of cardio. You're gonna have to do some sprinting and or long distance running to really be able to be considered an action star. I, I kept thinking about what kind of training like all the other actors sort of had to go through in terms of like the fight scenes and the choreography. Obviously, the running. Yeah, there was, there, was, there was probably something for the hand-to-hand. Banner probably a little bit less than Sersha, but they, prob- they probably both had their days where they were just doing hand-to-hand combat and not filming. And probably just running marathons around their trailer. Yeah. Well, Sersha, especially barefoot. Same with when with Bruce Willis in Die Hard where all the glass fell down and he was barefoot. And I was just like, ow, 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 <laughs> the whole time. So maybe I guess maybe I, I did this for a compare and contrast. How how were Die Hard and Hannah the same? How are Die Hard and Hannah different? I think there's someone that is willing to help the hero in in both stories. Definitely not as long of help like as in Die Hard with Family Matters guy. Correct. He's kind of throughout, but Sophie in in Hannah she she's like her only friend and sneaks her around and is willing to keep her secrets. And so there's like a sort of a friendship that sort of develops, which I thought was kind of similar. And obviously the, the overzealous authority, like with the police and the FBI and Die Hard and this fake government, organ- whatever this government, is it CIA? It's CIA. In terms of the differences, I don't feel for either villain. Or there's moments with Kate Blanchett's character that Marissa, I remember her name now, where she, you could tell there's some sort of story or underlying thing where I, she wanted kids or she wanted Hannah to be her child. Or something along those lines, and you sort of feel like she was chasing after something that she always wanted, or at least that's what I got from it. I didn't feel that any sort of sympathy for Hans in Die Hard. I understood that he was like, there was a bigger mission of just like corporate greed and things of that nature, but I didn't feel it as much as I felt that with Marissa. Yeah, with the bad guy from Die Hard, it's, there's a humanity there to him, like, because you can tell he was well, he was schooled. You know, he's got some zingers. You know, he has the ability to adapt to certain situations and and show how smart he is. But I don't think either of these films is meant to make you identify with the villain in any way. You're not you're not there to sort of understand their side because they they are the irrational side in both films, especially with Marissa's thing, because human beings are they are technically things. But in the realm of humanity, you can't treat them as things. When she has, when it's time for her to close down her section, her way of closing things down is to kill everybody. And Hannah is the one that gets away. So that ends up coming back to bite her because she didn't treat Hannah like a human being. Or even uh, Eric, the, the father. Or that sort of father. Yeah, sort of father. Father figure. Yeah, I also thought, too, something I, I just sort of realized is a similarity for me i start to realize that the characters i fall in love with are probably going to (laughs) die so like in die hard i really did like even though he was very brief was like the the big boss of 
that company that was having the party, you know he's going to die. You know they're going to kill him. And he seemed like a very genuine person with nothing to hide in that sense. Right. But I really felt stuff for the guy that lives at Grimm's house. Oh, okay. I was like, he's so, he seems crazy, but like wholesome. And he's just here to look out for Hannah, but they're going to kill him. And same with the guy that owns that hotel when she escapes to Morocco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, no, he's going to die. I like him. He's going to die. That's interesting. You you connect really quickly to smaller characters. Yeah. Same with my limo guy. They didn't kill him, though. Yeah, of course not. Well, I mean, think, with Argyle, they never got to him. No, he just purposely crashed into that fake ambulance. Right. Okay, so I, I'll have to be on the lookout for that in terms of small, maybe tertiary characters. Yeah, it's such a weird thing. I always feel like there's more to them, and you, you never get to see it. Yeah, there's, that's that's an action movie trope as well. Usually the, it's the mentor type like Eric. That's the one who has like the full movie to expand his character. He's you know he does the thing where he he shows tough love to the the protagonist. He helps them grow in many ways. He's also he or she is the one that does the grand sacrifice close to the end of the film, where they most of the time it's they step in front of a bullet or they push him out of a doorway and the room blows up. They're holding on to like a a grenade pin. And they say, no, run, get on out of here. I'll, I'll hold them off. That's usually kind of the the standard action movie trope. But it seems like you, you find one or two fringe characters and then you lock on immediately. Yeah, I, I also expected the father to to die as well. Because like you said, it's it's like he tries to see sacrifices himself in a sense to save his daughter. And of course, he told her, you know, before he gets killed that he's not her actual father. Like, I was like, you did lie to her, but you also, I was thinking about, he recruited like 20 women at an abortion clinic. Yeah. He realized he was working for who he was working for. So that's kind of, he sort of felt like he was distanced from those days. I guess he knew that going to those places to recruit was just something that he had to do versus something that he, there was remorse there. Yeah, he showed, and that's also an action movie thing. It's like you, they show emotion. They don't say it, they show it. You can see in the beginning he's not very emotional with her. You see like sort of a vulnerable moment where she like puts her head on his shoulder in the beginning. But you see in his actions that he has this whole plan to reunite them, you know, by her going to the house and and the postcard and all that stuff. He doesn't really show it fully till he tells her he loves her towards the end before he dies. Right. You know, or there's those moments where you realize that you love someone and how much you'll do for them. And it's always a movie thing where they say it too late. Or they die right before they're going to say it. Yeah. Unless it's a standard family member where they say it in the beginning. If the hero's having a, a questionable moment where he's, he or she is doubting themselves, the family member will then say, you know, we love you. Go out there and kill those bad guys. And then, and then you know, that spurs them on to victory. I did, I did really like the shot, though, of Papa and one of the, like, evil guys. And they're dead and they're just rotating on that spinning playground thing i've got what it's called but i like that shot of just like it holding on that what i what i thought was interesting difference between this and and die hard is like die hard was quick in its movement i think like it was like constant ready for battle sort of thing it didn't feel slow moving to me in a sense but this was like there was a lot of concentration like there's a lot of time for the the other elements to play out I mean, that was obviously slow motion in it as well, really emphasizing the fighting and emphasizing the jumping and emphasizing the running. And then also like those shots of quick cuts when she gets captured and when 
she's like running down that to escape that cell you felt the desperation and the quickness and the cuts and then yeah you just felt like it just and there was just the lighting changes and the flashing and there was a lot of i felt the chaos a little bit more i i think in a film like hannah it was a bit more artistically shown of the intensity of the moment you could hear it in the music sort of slowly faded in you could see how some of the camera work like especially when um the father got off the train and he felt that people were following him the way that the camera was sort of panned around him and circled him and you could see like the guys faking like they were reading or you knew something was coming i mean it was still fast but it was still it was more gradual than say uh like die hard had those moments where it's 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 tension but it's more like a sneak up tension and then it's just a loud bang of gunfire and fighting and you know there's that loud surprise noise and you know there you just have fisticuffs or you have gunshots or you have a, a shootout like there's there's a, there's levels to how action can be presented to you and i think hannah shows you a different one with the way that it does it there's such a huge difference like in die hard there's more of like a classical film score or classical music style and then with hannah using the chemical brothers and having a very specific like very loud very like you knew once that music hit you knew that was the cue that shit was about to go down and it was so chaotic like everything that was happening on screen but it it wasn't too busy in terms of there weren't like 30 guys on screen and you know a 15 year old is kicking them to the moon it's you know a couple of guys who have some seriously ill intent they're bigger than her they're stronger than her but she has to find a way to sort of fix it because she doesn't have anything it's similar to Die Hard, where all he had was a gun. She just has her her uh, what she's learned. All she can all she can do through to move through the world is use what she's been taught. So if she just has to use her hands and feet to fight off some people, that's so be it. If a gun enters play, she'll pull some triggers if she needs to. She has to be a bit more. She has to be just as resourceful as McLean was in this film. But also I liked the, there's that scene where she's in the RV with uh, Miles and Sophie and her parents and Hannah's head's just out the window. The music is playing and it's like the slow moving and her, her head is like blowing in the wind, like her hair is blowing and this scene of just the only purpose for it is to show that she's still a kid, that she has this, this childlike wonder of being out in the world. Like, it didn't drive a plot. It was just to give her more character. That, that was exactly what it was for. Because they, do, they don't want to show Hannah as being a cold-hearted, you know, like her father. They don't, wanna, they don't want her to appear that way. Especially when she got with the, the quote-unquote foster family. Even when she killed the fake uh, Marissa. Like, she climbed on her and gave her a big hug. She was this, this great savior to her. Like, almost like a mother figure. Poor fake Marissa. I'm, I'm sure she felt bad checking in that day or punching in the clock that day. Yeah, she just threw on a wig and thought that she was going to have a nice, ch- you know, a chat with a kid. Yeah, 15-year-old. Nothing nothing, nothing uh, too crazy about that. <laughs> they got to inform you next of kin that uh, mommy's gone because Kate uh, Blanchett wanted it so. I also love a villain in a bob haircut. I mean, I, I would like to really talk about Kate. She was amazing. And it's not like she didn't have to show too much savagery in terms of her actions. I mean, yes, she she killed many people, many, many people in this film. Like Die Hard, Hans, you know, killing hostage or killing, killing the Japanese guy. 
by killing Johanna's mom, like her mom's mom. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of rough. But I think that that was to show what lengths she would go to. And it's not like it was it wasn't even done in a in a grisly fashion. There's a, there's a lot of that with other action films. That's a trope where the the big boss or the big bad guy kills someone just because they can, whether it's one of their own henchmen. And, and it's usually a brutal kill. You know, somebody will get cut in half or they'll get shot in the head. And it's like very violent. Killing the grandma was done artistically because you, you knew you knew that when she pulled the trigger, the, the mother's, I guess her whatever blood splatter would be there would hit that picture. So when they came back to the picture and showed the blood splatter on it, you knew that's what she had done. But instead, they never really showed you. They didn't show it in a very gruesome fashion. Yeah, they didn't really show people actually getting. They didn't show like the prop, like the blood as much. What I did like was the not from Kate Blanchett's character, but Banna's character when he kills the guy in the blue jumpsuit and the slow motion of basically punching him or whatever to get him into the swings on that playground, knocking him on the head in slow motion. And there was like this whole drama to the kill. And similar to with uh, Marissa and, and Johanna's mother. And like, there's a lot of suspense before she gets shot. And she also knows. I think the mother knows she's going to die. Yeah, she did. You could tell. But Kate Kate was an amazing villain in this. Understated, pr- provided the right amount of menace on screen. Oh, the brushing the teeth, too. Like that, that sort of edge to her. Uh, the, the, the fact that she had to look for a certain pair of shoes. The fact that she had to actually pump herself up to move when um, Eric came storming in the apartment. She's like, she was like, move, Marissa, move. And then she jumped out the window. That shows a certain level of humanity to her as well. Not necessarily like she's a good human, but just that she's just not a robot who can operate on AI. She has to sort of do similar things to what the hero would have to do to get from point A to point B. Like I was saying earlier, the, the bloody teeth, like when she's brushing her teeth in the beginning to introduce her. And she brushes her teeth till they bleed. She's trying to get them real clean, but she's also, she's like sort of punishing herself in a way. That's a good, uh, that's a good way to say it. Because she's often by herself in a lot of the scenes that she's in. And she, she's upset at something. And I'm, I'm assuming that brushing her teeth to the point of bleeding is part of how she gets that rage out. She can't just go to like a shooting range. Because she, I, I'm assuming she does a lot of desk work, so she can't really lash out the way she wants to there's that was the, the blood that they i feel like the blood that they show had purpose agreed like the blood from the deer that she kills is in the beginning i was like the first one of the first notes i had was gross i hate blood and guts there wasn't that much of it in this movie very minimal for that particular deer is it's to serve the purpose of her survival her surviving in the in that cold north yeah, you don't even see really the blood from like the gunshot at the end that Hannah has in her hip. Uh, just missed her heart, so right there. Right, the line. And the, the exact same shots at the top at the, end, at the end. That was, I did remember saying to myself as the movie ended, now that's how you end a movie. Now that's how you, and I, and I clapped very loudly for a good 30 seconds. This is how you do it. Like you, you, you give that through line of you know, oh, I just missed your heart in the beginning, and then it, when it comes full circle at the end, and because then it makes you think, oh, this person is a deer. There's there may be a correlation between the deer 
and Marissa, where it's like, oh, you know, she shoots the deer in the beginning for for survival reasons. She shoots Marissa at the end for survival reasons. Like it, when it ties up that cleanly, that those those are the best moments in cinema in general. But for that to happen in an action film, even better. I think that's why I one of the reasons why I liked it so much. I think it's because it felt like there were the tropes of action film, but I think they did focus a lot on the art of it. That was also as important as the action. Understood. Um, well, Joseph Wright, the director, I'm looking at some of his feature films. Uh, most of them are not action films. Pride and Prejudice, uh, Atonement, The Soloist, which is a drama featuring Jamie Foxx and Robert Downey Jr. about a musician with schizophrenia who became homeless. He did a movie about uh, Winston Churchill's early days as prime minister of the UK. So I don't know how he even got tapped to do this film. Because if, if this is not even his wheelhouse, yet he still made something happen like this. That this this is... I'm trying to think of the word. Well, he was able to infuse those skills in like a drama. It seems like he does like either period pieces or deep dramas. Like I think, yeah, like Pride and Prejudice. So I can see where he took some of those the brightness of it, like in the beginning, especially like on the outside, the outdoor shots were just like really crisp. So I, I guess maybe he used his, all of the drama stuff to do the interpersonal relationships. And that's why not as action packed as say Die Hard was with, you know, all the running and gunning. This is more subdued. This there's a lot of running, as you mentioned, but not necessarily hand to hand. There's not a very large body count. Yeah, but also, I mean, I also has to. I feel like too, even picking your cinematographer and picking the shots and what you want, the style that you want, and the coloring. I guess too, it's not necessarily all just the cinematographer. It's also the coloring, in post, and the editing, and the touches that they make on those shots. People, a lot of people talk about the cinematography in Die Hard and the effects in Die Hard, and a lot of film nerds stand that movie. So I'm not trying to say that, that there's not an appreciation for the cinematography in Die Hard. I think it's just different styles. And I think there was more of a focus on trying new different types of shots because there's also a, a time gap between when Die Hard was made and when Hana was made. So there are probably more advancements in in camera and lighting and post. Yeah, it's about a 20-year difference, 20-plus year difference. So there's more you could do. But it also wasn't like Die Hard was like big explosions, literally. Now we'd sort of associate that with like a Michael Bay, who I'm sure had was influenced by Die Hard in some way, shape, or form. Mr. Bay is on the list. I'm sure. I have seen Transformers. That is the only Michael Bay movie I have seen. I loved the, I just want to come, the comedy too. Like I, when the comedy hit, I feel like we really needed it. Understood. Understood. It couldn't, I don't think it could be completely serious. I think Die Hard had more comedic elements, obviously with Argyle and with the cocaine guy. There were more spurts of it, which I think was nice. But this was like full drama, full tilt until you got, you know, basically until you introduce that family, Sophie and Miles and the parents. Sophie's one-liners about MIA and how she didn't talk till she was eight or whatever it was, and she's from Sri Lanka. So then she made the assumption that because Hana wasn't talking, she's also Sri Lankan. She was such a gossip hound. I loved her. Yeah, she's probably like similar to with my love for Argyle. I had a strong love for Sophie. So those are your characters, just the, the ones that stick out in their own particular way. She was so funny. Like, I was just like, girl, not now. That was not the time for you to be like, we're going with these boys now. She got things to do. 
that was kind of my point. It was like, what, why are we talking about this right here, right now? We have to get from point A to point B because I'm caught up in the idea that Hannah has to go. But she's talking all this nonsense about celebrities. I'm like, this is not the time. But you also need it. You, you need it. Even just in the arguing with her parents and the, the, the characters that they are in terms of like this like artsy professor type woman, I guess, whatever she is. And then the father who's just like, oh, my God, shut up. Yeah. And I also like the fact that the jokes, you just move, you just move on from the jokes. The part with the boy getting, you know, taken down. She kisses him on the cheek and then that's the end of the scene. Uh, the part in the morning where she drops those skinned rabbits on the table saying, I brought breakfast and they're like, uh, that's disgusting. And then you just move on. Like, you don't, you don't deal with the fallout of two skinned rabbits at a, at a motorhome park. There's nothing you can do with that. You just keep, you have to keep it moving. Yeah. There's no beats. There's no breathing. Which I, I assume was done on purpose. It's chaos. The whole movie is chaos. For Hannah, yeah. And so you want to be, you're supposed to be with her in that, in the suffocation, in the overstimulation, and like the speed. There was no time, you said there's no time to sit on a joke. No, because she's, remember, she's got to get to a place at a time. And she's also working with a limited playbook of stuff that her quote unquote father taught her. So when she gets pushed about what, you know, what is this that you're about? She just has to go to the script, and that's all she can operate with. Yeah, and also, like, the whole uh, scene with her and Sophie where they're, like, the friendship love, that wasn't in her script. Like, having this person that she connects with wasn't part of it. And her, her attachment to music and how she really loves, like, the Spanish music that she gets to watch. And you really get to see this moment of her to actually be a kid and be and someone that's exploring the world. And that wasn't part of – her father read music as such a technical definition – but she wanted to hear it and she never got to hear it until those moments. And I thought that was really like a nice human, even like she didn't expect to kiss the girl, but she felt emotion. Let me, let me ask you a, a, a different question. I'm pivoting. Do you think there should have been a sequel? You know what? I don't think it needs it. I know there's a TV show and I know you told me in the last episode not to watch the show. I don't think you need to see her continuing on her journey. I think it ended, like you said, that last shot, that full circle moment. I don't think it needed a show. Agreed. That, that I guess that may be more of the question. Did, did it need a show versus a sequel? Plus, I can't see anyone else playing Hannah besides Sersha. Like, I know they have another person playing her because Sersha's too big for those britches. I think she was so good that I can't, I wouldn't be able to separate that from the person that plays her in, uh, in the TV show. I think if you get everybody back in terms of, like, the Chemical Brothers, the director, the cinematographer, Sersha, um, and Sophie. Oh, yeah. Got to bring her. Then may, maybe you can do a sequel now. I'd love to follow Sophie. Get me a sh- get me a movie on her. <laughs> so Sophie and Argyle, the movie is is what you're waiting for. And you know what? Um, put put Winslow in there. <laughs> of course, as the as the father figure, he's the one that tells Argyle to like, hurry home with Sophie. <laughs> I want. Don't you want this? Don't you see this? This comedic joy. I do not. I do not want it at all. Um, but I <laughs> I want it for you, but not for me. Okay. I think it could be really funny. I think the dynamic between Argyle and Sophie would be so funny. Can you imagine? She would just, go, they wouldn't connect. Like it would just be like, they would be talking at each other. She'd be talking that gossip, that gossip rag nonsense. He might try to talk it too because he would, because he's a limo driver. Like, yeah, I picked up, I picked up MIA at the airport. Oh my God. What was she like? You know, I think, I think they'd have a lot more in common than you think. But I would, I would love that. Like they're both trying to get information out of each other in different ways 
Like she's trying to get like the celebrity information on a limo driver. Right. He's trying to be like, how should I talk to women? Am I doing it right? Do they like this music? Do they like Stevie Wonder? They both be, and they both be on uh, Instagram. Oh yeah. Oh, Argyle has a pop in Instagram. Yeah, he would definitely be social media savvy. <laughs> if I don't, if I'm not friends with Argyle, I need to. Who, who's that actor? Is he still working? I need to be his friend. We got to figure that out. He's the shine. He has to. Find, he has to know that I think he's the shining star of Die Hard. So you, maybe we have to find out. Um, maybe there's some fan mail. Uh, maybe a PO box you could send a postcard to. Yeah. Say, listen, uh, Argyle, you're the man. You were the true star of Die Hard. Can I get an autograph? Yeah, honestly, that would be the that's the goal. If I can get that in my apartment framed, what a dream. If I can just every secondary character that I enjoy out of all these movies, if I just that becomes my apartment, just like frame photos of each of these like smaller characters. Small in the movie, but not not small in my heart, you know what I mean? You know what? I think you just talked yourself into some extra credit. Ooh. That'll be that'll be your task. So what's my grade so far? How am I doing? We don't talk grades um, in this class. You know, we just sort of, because I don't, I don't want it to be like, you know, if I tell you you're doing A-level work, then you might coast the next couple episodes. And like, ah, I could just, I could slack off a little bit and just give them a little B effort, C effort. We'll just, we'll, we'll say you're passing right now. That's all I want. Give me that 65. <laughs> yeah, you're at a, you're at a, you're at a passing level at this moment. Okay, great. I mean, it's only been two classes too, so like. I can't expect to be getting, you know, A pluses every time. Exactly. But I'm a, I, I overachieve these days. I'm a perfectionist. I was not that way in college or anywhere else. But now, now that I know it's achievable, that I can be perfect, that I can make nothing else go wrong, that's all I want to do. Well, you've, you've reached a new level of schooling, so <laughs> you, you got to want the best or it's just not worth the effort. No, who has time? Who has time to not do well? I think I identified the proper tropes. Was I missing any tropes? Speaking of perfection. No, you you got all the tropes correct. Woo! Okay, A plus. I'm giving it to myself, but I'm not going to coast, I swear. Okay, good. Because then I'm, I have to talk to your parents. So, out of a listing, sorry, out of a rating system, one to five, one to five arrows for Hannah, what would you rate the film? She's five deer killings for me. Five deer killings. <laughs> five, five dead, dead deer. deer. I've shot in the heart deer sightings. I loved it. I don't consider, you know, I, as someone that went to film school, um, and I guess is still in film school, according to this podcast, it hit the things that I feel like I should have paid more attention to in film school in terms of like cinematography and editing and sound design and uh, all that stuff. Like in the beginning, like I just loved the, like the sounds, just like the sounds of the running and the sounds of the shot, the shots into the deer. I was paying more attention to those things that I wasn't necessarily paying attention to in school. So good for me. Interesting. Interesting. I probably should have saved this for the final film if, if this is going to be the response. I mean, it means that we can only go down or up. You have options. We do have options. We have we have many directions to go from here. So what are your thoughts on it? I, too, five out of five. Should I say five? Maybe Let me give four and a half. I did enjoy it a lot. I did notice more of the technical stuff. I noticed the cinematography more. I noticed the soundtrack more. I thought it was more action-packed when I watched it when I was uh, younger. So I think that kind of maybe, since I was expecting more action and I didn't get it, I was like, ah, maybe that's a little bit of a demerit. But I think it, overall, it was uh, a pretty great film. Actually, no, I'm going to bump it back up to five. Let us not be. Let me not be a tough guy for the sake of uh, recorded audio. Wow. Uh, I'll give Hannah five out of five. Got him. Perfection. You know, I try. 
I try. I, I'm 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 not necessarily a hard-hearted uh, sicko. I am a nice guy at times. So, allegedly. So now I have to think of your next film. To me, it was more of like a uh, almost like a tennis match, back and forth, where I go from Hollywood blockbuster to maybe something under the radar, or Hollywood blockbuster something that I really liked, whether it's Hollywood or not. There's also some some of them where I'm going to go Hollywood blockbuster, and then something I hated or something that's not really good. And the not really good stuff is because you sort of, because it's part of the genre that you want to bring it in. Yes, to show you what not to do. Sure. We're going to be on a roller coaster ride. Yes, that's the idea. That's the idea. Let's go style over substance. Your next film will be Face Off. That's Nicolas Cage, John Travolta. Correct, Mundo. Directed by John Woo. John Woo is a very, very popular Asian action film director. I would love to show you some of his Asian films, but none of them seem to be on streaming. We're kind of stuck with his American output instead. There's there's a very stark difference between what you saw in Hannah and and uh, some of his Asian work, uh, some of his uh, work over in Asia. It's it's the body counts. People are just disposable. <laughs> people are disposable in his world. People just they take a bullet and they're gone. They just did stacks of bodies, stacks of them. I think we'll notice this as we go along. The humor will be there to sort of lighten the load of the action film. I think that's the one trope we didn't talk about to uh, compare and contrast with Die Hard and Hannah is that the levity is there to sort of not make this feel as real. Like Die Hard, you know, him making quips and jokes, like by the end of it, you're like, oh, that couldn't really happen in real life because nobody's going to be that jokey while jumping off a building. Hannah, I think the humor was there to make it so this wasn't just a a, a serious European-themed chase film. You want something with humanity in it, you got to have humor in there as well. And I think Hannah's situation was there to, to make it funny, is to make it human. Other films will do it in various ways like that as well, either to make it human or to just make it so you don't take it seriously. I'm ready. I'm ready to face off. <laughs> you're going to be um you're going to be uh surprised. I don't I don't know how much John Travolta or Nicolas Cage you've had in your life in terms of film. This this should be an interesting addition to your uh film library. Well, it's funny because for me John Travolta, like I know he's action guy or more action guy, but I've only seen Travolta in like when in his in his start in the 70s and 80s, you know, doing like Grease and Saturday Night Fever and those type of things. So it'll be interesting to see the action turn. So you've seen him more as a dancer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A, mu- a musical man. This should this should be an interesting, uh, this should be an interesting one. Uh, yeah, and with that, we will wrap up class for today. Uh, office hours will be posted in the back for those who want to come. Uh, we talked about Hannah today. We talked about the tropes. We talked about Kate Blanchett being the best. We talked about Sersha Ronan also being a very magnetic character. We talked about uh, a lot today. And I think you will be interested in where we're headed going forward. As we said, next film is Face Off. Get yourselves ready for that. And with that, uh, class is over. Class dismissed. Uh, everybody can head off to where they need to go to. We will see you next class. You've been listening to the Fundamentals of Action Film 101 podcast, hosted by Christopher Carter and Sarah Carlin. 
music composed by Michael Herron. Thank you for listening.